People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. Today's conversation takes us to Seattle, where we talk to Allison Bedard, the new managing principal of the Seattle and Bellevue offices, and the rest of the state of Washington, for that matter, of Cushman and Wakefield. Allison's path to leadership was not a straight line, and it often isn't, but her story of self-confidence and the ability to lead a successful organization stood out, and now it is paying dividends. We talk in our conversation about the Puget Sound region, the changes that the industry has experienced since COVID, and how all those variables are making the business of commercial real estate brokerage new and better. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Allison, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Vlad. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I guess I'm enjoying this heat in the Pacific Northwest. I can't tell if I am. I feel like now that I've lived here for a few years, it feels odd um, to have hot days. <laughs> Maybe it's my age. I don't know. But we're, we're doing good. Um, and how about yourself? Um, you are now in the Pacific Northwest. You, you have moved, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but, but you are now a uh, local as well. Yep, that's right. I'm a, I'm a brand new local, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> whatever that means, right. But I, am a, I know I'm experiencing my, my what, second season here, and everyone told me, wait for summer, wait for summer, and um, it has not disappointed. So Excellent. I am not used to not having air conditioning, and it has been unusually hot from what I hear. Right, that's we're, right. Yeah, really enjoying it so far. Good, 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 good. Excellent. So, Allison, by way of kind of, you know, introduction and sort of Tell us a, a little bit about your background and kind of, you know, how the, you know, winding road of, uh, you know, your career led you to Cushman and Wakefield here in Seattle and how it all came to be. Sure. No, um, thank you. It's interesting. I think about my career path and I've talked a little bit about my story over the years with other people because it has not been a straight shot. And, you know, I think if you take anything from it, it's okay, I can do anything you want to do. But so I started out, I actually... My professional career, a young adult, I had moved to Salt Lake City. I was a Navy brat, moved to Salt Lake City because I was a Delta flight attendant. I had gotten hired out of training and got based in Salt Lake City, Utah. So that's the only reason why I moved there. Um, Didn't know a soul. Should have known then. I was a risk taker and an adventure kind of seeker. And so anyway, I, I flew. I was very proud to serve with Delta Airlines for seven years. And during that point in time, um, while I was flying, I, I was very entrepreneurial. So I had started a couple of different businesses all at the same time. Okay. And one was property management. So I had gotten my license. Somebody told me, get your license and uh, you can always do something with a real estate license. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So It'll help you. It'll help right. you eventually, right? It'll help you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, but I, I got my 
real estate license, I started this small property management company. I'll tell you, I absolutely hated it. Um, I was not good <laughs> at, you know, answering calls in the middle of the night. And you know, I didn't know how to, I was not handy. But I learned a ton about running a small business. Sure. And, you know, and, and so I, I kind of I completed my couple of years and all the assignments I had, you know, taken on. And then I wrapped those up and said, okay, I'm done with property management. And then after that, I had a friend say, you know, you should really think about commercial real estate. I think you'd be really good at sales. And I, um, I had no, I was so frightened with the idea of commission work or sales. I thought it was terrible. I I just had never seen myself like that. So, but I, you know, I had no idea what commercial real estate was. I started looking around and I thought, oh my gosh, I've been looking at commercial real estate my whole life. Like I, I love urban infrastructure. I love the way cities are developed. And I just didn't even know what it was. You know, no one had ever told me this yeah. is what commercial real estate is. So I was pretty fired up about the whole thing. And I went in for an interview at Cushman and Wakefield because they were kind of, they were the place to be uh, in Salt Lake City. And, you know, it's one thing that stuck with me at the beginning was the interview I had with the MP, the CEO, he used inclusive language. And it was just weird because, yeah, I'm saying this in past tense. At the time, it just yeah, felt right. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why he did it, but he just said some things that were just inclusive. It was like he used the word significant other. And it made a big difference for me. And I thought, huh, I know I can probably get a fair shake here. I know I'm going to get, uh, you know, I, I think I can probably do some really great work. And so anyway, I, I kind of took the plunge into brokerage, all commission work. I had two great mentors that I started out with, but they kind of quickly kind of pushed me out of the nest and on my own. And, and, I, <laughs> right. and I, and I was a broker for 14 years. I, I built my own team. I walked through, I would say a lot of fire. And it's something I talk a lot about because it's not easy, right? You got to get up every morning and um, you don't ever really know where the, the check might come from. That's and right. Yeah. You got to get really comfortable with that. And so when you, when you walk through that kind of fire and start taking risks, yeah, it opens up new things for you as a person, I think. So, yeah. you know, opportunities to stretch and grow. And um, and so anyway, that's like the early parts of my story. Yeah. And fair to say at that point also, I mean, as I think still is the case today, but you you were kind of a rare breed as well, right? I mean, you know, female in, in sort of a primarily male-dominated in- industry, correct? Yeah. I'm glad you bring it up because it's it's true and it's hard being one of the only people in the wor- room, you know, when all the time and especially as you're learning and you're trying to form your own network and, and your own clients and and it and it was challenging. I turned to in 2008 there was a new chapter of Crew Network yep. and Crew yep. uh, in Utah. It was called Crew Utah and it was brand new, it was grassroots and it was during the big fallout 2008. I had no deals. I had gotten a divorce. I was starting completely over. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll join this group, right? I didn't know again. <laughs> May as well and, start somewhere, so, right? <laughs> yeah, and right, you know, right. but 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 a lot of people, you know, that's when they left the business and I was like, no way, man. I'm good at this. I know I can do this. Um you know, so so I got I got going with with uh, you know getting out there making my network, and I had no clue that Crew was like a national network. Right, um, I just right. thought of it as a local, and but I got involved and I went to my first convention like two years after that, and it's like when the lights came on for me, Vlad. It's like I saw I saw fifteen hundred professional women in the same room, and I, I would argue it's probably one of the only. Um, 
places in commercial real estate where you can see an image like this. Yeah. And it made a difference for me. You know, it was one of those moments where I went, wow, this is what I want to be. I want to be a leader. I want to be a professional woman like, like these women that are, are, you know, they're kicking butt, they're taking names, they're, you know, they're leaders in their respective fields. And then, uh, and they were so inclusive. They wanted to help me. They wanted me to succeed. You know, there was a, there was a spot. And so I went back to Utah. I was all fired up and I'm like, oh my gosh, we can be a market leader. Yeah. We can, this is power. This is power in a way that I had never recognized before that I had access, you know, to a group of leaders, to, to a, a part of the industry that my, my counterparts didn't have, but it was a way I could contribute, yeah. right? It wasn't yeah. an if and or them or this or that or whatever. It was how I could contribute and be a leader. And and it really made a difference for me. So after that, of course, the, the local chapter, um, I was not on the board. They had they called me into the boardroom and said, will you be our next president-elect? <laughs> you know, because I was all fired up with these ideas yeah. of how we could be a market leader. But I, you know, I was scared to death um, at the idea of taking on a leadership role because I'd never done that before, like with a board. And um, but I did it, you know, I started trusting my judgment, like, okay, I got to step into it. And from there, I'm, it's like things just started kicking, kicking into high gear. I, I, um, was nominated for the, the, um, national board of directors. I was the youngest person at the time, you know, and just walking through those types of things. And all while, this is all volunteer work while I'm building my, my sure. brokerage practice right, right. or coming back. And the brokerage practice, I noticed that the more I developed as a leader, the more confidence I gained. It was like my business was just on fire. And um, so when people always ask, you know, they ask me, how could you have done all that? How could you make money while you were serving or as a volunteer? And I'm like, I did better than ever, I think, because I was doing something I was very passionate about. It was creative to, you know, where how I was growing and I was getting that support around me. And after serving, so I ended up serving as global president of, of Crew Network, of all things. Yeah, we should highlight that. I was just going to say, right, you were <laughs> you were elected to actually lead the organization nationally, right? Which is yeah. which is amazing. It was it really is one of these things that yeah, it was it was amazing and it was, you know, and, and it wasn't and again to the windy path, and I, I'll share one other story about this because I so when I first got elected to the board of directors for Crew, it was like two thousand fourteen. And our organization in Salt Lake City was going through some leadership changes. And I, at the time, um, so they were looking for candidates. And so I interviewed to be the, the MP for Utah back in 2014. And um, it was my first year on the board of Crew Network. And I was all thinking, yeah, you know, I could really do some great things. I really had that desire for leadership back then. Yeah. Well, I went to the interview process and I had to interview in front of like, I don't know, eight of my peers which was very challenging yeah. <laughs> and a whole nother, yeah. you know, level of stress. And, um, and then after the interview, they ended up choosing, um, my, my colleague, which was great, but he, but the, the feedback I got was, well, we think you just need another five years. Oh. And at the time when I heard that advice, I was like, Oh man, that just kind of hits, you know, like, <laughs> what do you know about me? You know? <laughs> right. But what ended up happening then is later that year, maybe it was 2015. I can't remember anymore, but later, yeah, it was like four months later, I was nominated for crew network president. And what that means is if you accept that nomination, you have to go interview in front of the entire board and you fly down to Houston and then you get sit and they just grill you, you know, with questions, very nerve wracking. 
So I'm going down to Houston to interview, and I'm thinking about the experience I just had three months earlier and how I was so much more prepared for the interview. You know what I mean? Because I was going to get grilled by 10 peers. And then, you know, and then to have, and, and they were totally right. I needed five years of experience and I got it through Crew Network. And, you know, it was like, I got a, this fantastic um, development through Crew, which led me to then reapplying for the position uh, when it came available again. And I still didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> okay. For a variety or whatever. Right, and it right. still wasn't the right time for me, to be honest, because, you know, it, but I, I had this passion thinking, yeah, I could do. I really felt like I could do good work. And um, and then third time a charm. <laughs> so I, I served as MP of, of Utah in 2018 is yeah. when I took over. Yeah. And, you know, so I spent, I spent the first two years of my leadership journey there, learned a heck of a lot of lessons. And, um, and then when this position opened up in Seattle, it was just the right time. And it's funny to say the right time because it was 2020 and COVID and like, you know, I mean, a lot of people made pivots and right. changes, you know, whether they were, whether they were positive or negative or however you want to. You seem to find a nice springboard every time sort of the market turns. So <laughs> back in a way, yeah. it sounds like that <laughs> happened. And then now again, you know, 12 years later. So tell us about this role here in the Pacific Northwest. You are the managing principal of the, of the Seattle and Bellevue sort of offices, right? Does that incorporate sort of all of Washington? Uh, where, where, where is your sphere of influence? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the, so technically my region is all of Washington state, though we're primarily focused in the Seattle and Bellevue regions yep. for now. Yep. So I think over time, you know, that Washington is, the whole state is, is part of the, uh, the region. Sure. And, you know, I'm responsible for the strategic growth of all of our, our business lines up here. And um, so we, we carry the full platform um, and that's some of the areas, some of the, what we call, call the platform is we have brokerage, um, our property management, we have a very healthy project development management services. Yep. We offer evaluation advisory as well as our um, integrated facilities management. So like the global occupier um, really work with that occupier client. Yeah. What's interesting about this region, you know, around Seattle is that in the last decade, especially, it's really sort of gotten back on the on the map, if you will, with, uh, you know, growth of Amazon and Microsoft and other sort of firms here locally. It's become a very desirable city, not just for people to come live and work in, but also for investors and for companies to locate jobs here. You know, in many ways, it's sort of, you know, the darling of the commercial real estate industry. And, and I think in the last year, you know, 18 months or so, it's, it's, you know, proven to be that way also. What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, this is it's one of the reasons why I, I took the job. I also, like you, I mean, Seattle's a top MSA, you know, top 10 MSA in the United States. I mean, we're, we, it's got this infrastructure and the, the, the growth and the yeah, foreign investor uh, capital. You know, um, transitioning here has been very interesting because looking at the city from 30,000 feet, it's exactly what you described. You can see the investors pouring in uh, and, and will continue to do so. Locally on the ground over the last six months, it's been interesting to hear um, people's viewpoints, you know, between Seattle and Bellevue. Yeah. Um, this is the first time I was catching up with an owner uh, yesterday and he was saying it's the first time where Seattle's had a supply, more of a supply issue, and Bellevue has all demand. You know, there's not enough supply right, in Bellevue. Right. And um, but all of us were agreeing that the horizon is very bright um, for Seattle. You know, and, and for, for the entire region. 
and that we're going to continue to see that. I mean, you, with global companies like Microsoft and Amazon headquartered here, along with several other technology companies that really, you know, it's the hub of, uh, of tech and, and the hub of that employee um, work base. Yeah. So I think we'll just continue to see that propel. But we're in an interesting time. You know, I think it's, um, it'll be, it's a good time to move into a market and, and learn. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. In terms of all of those areas, and you mentioned you kind of have a you know a full service offering here in this region. Are there certain aspects of your business that you want to focus more on over the next you know few months or you know a couple of years? Yeah, so we're we're definitely focused on growing our brokerage practice. You know, we've been unusually kind of small for for how Cushman and Wakefield how we typically operate in in the top MSAs. So, so we have a lot of room to run here. Uh, we're very bullish on, on our prospects, but we're looking at building our, our brokerage practice, offering uh, our property management business along with our project development services yep. and really yep. grouping those offerings together and building the right team that's bolstered and really understands how to deliver that, that level of client service and that level of kind of integrated approach. And that's something that uh, we, we do very, very well as a company, um, but it's a, a place where we're focused as a leadership team to yeah. make sure we get those. Have you found it difficult uh, in this region to hire? Um, and I only say that because unemployment is fairly low here. Are those some of the things that you're looking at also, you know, attracting people from the industry to Cushman and Wakefield? And I, I guess I'll give an opportunity to sort of, you know, pitch Cushman and Wakefield now a little yeah. bit and say, <laughs> what, what about your organization is different? Or, you know, how are you guys better yeah, at doing yeah. what you guys do, right? Yeah. No, you know, you're totally right, though. Like, I can't shy away from the fact that unemployment is really low and it is challenging to hire people right now. So I know we're not alone in that one. But, you know, one of the things that I think is so, so we're actively hiring. I've got job recs, recs out for, for several different positions, uh, leadership to entry level. And uh, so, so there's a good, you know, I would say the pitch for us right now is you want to come and grow with us. You know, you want to be on the ground floor of building something really fantastic and, and, and be able to set tone and, and a place where your ideas will be heard and acknowledged and we can build upon. This is the kind of place for you. And, you know, the other thing, it kind of touches back on um, being a woman in commercial real estate, but, you know, I reflected on the fact that our leadership team in the West, we've, as a company, we've done a fantastic job with um, with promoting uh, female talent in our industry and, yeah. and keeping them. But, you know, I was just thinking that in the Pacific Northwest, I think we have 75% of our leadership team are women, which is kind of unusual. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But, and not to say one's you know, this or that, or you should have, you know, <laughs> that, that many women either, but, um, but it's just kind of an unusual statistic. And, and I think it just says a lot for, you know, we've, we've been trying to build the right group and um, seen from every level in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. What's also interesting about that is, you know, you talked about sort of how you stumbled into commercial real estate. And, and I think that is not an unusual story for others who are in the industry also, right? I think mm -hmm. typically when you think about, you know, you know, leaving college, I mean, I don't know, you know, tech seems to probably be on the top of minds of, you know, most college graduates, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is there something about that that you can like, you know, tell, you know, either a younger self or, you know, somebody, you know, now who is considering, you know, careers and 
where to go, you know, why commercial real estate would be would be a great way to, you know, build in a, you know, an amazing living. Well, it, yeah, it's a great question because um, tech is kind of the buzzword <clears throat> um, right now. I think for for most younger folks, you know, on the brokerage side, one of the the things that's very exciting and appealing, I guess, when we the looking at like our, our interns and younger folks that have come into the industry you know, they kind of want to just get it all at, at once, right? They want to go from zero to a hundred. Yeah. And with any kind of sales positions or commission-based work and relationship-based work, it takes time. And, and so, you know, it's a little bit, it's, you got to have that staying power. Um, but one of the great things about what we do, especially on the brokerage side, is you have the ability to create what you want to create. You know, you have the ability to really um, flex your ideas and and bring your your uh, creativity to to the process, right? Yeah, and yeah. and there's it really sky's the limit. And then on the other, you know, some of the other areas of commercial real estate, not on the brokerage side, but like pro- property management, you know, project development. Even though I didn't like property management <laughs> as, a, <laughs> right. as a youngster, right. it's a very good career, and it, and there's a lot of pride, you know, in that service and and being able to be a part of the fabric of a community. Sure. And one thing I didn't really touch on, but it's it's something that I think is that we're going to be really spending some time as a team up here is we acquired Pinnacle Property Management. It's a multifamily management and one of their hubs was Seattle. And so over the course of 2020, we've now had the opportunity to bring on all of these new employees into our firm um, and and learn from them. And so we're all just starting to get to know each other and work together but you know, I see I see that aspect of our business as being. I mean, that is an aspect of our business. We are out in the community day in and day out, and we serve, you know, side by side. And, sure. And there's something very rewarding about that. So I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to really build that side of our business as well. That's great. That's great. In our yeah. region, so yeah, in uh, Puget Sound. We've all talked about the pandemic and COVID. You know, till we're, we've been you know blue in the face. There's been <laughs> there's been enough said about it. I'd like to just ask a couple of sort of quick questions about sort of lessons learned and things that you've kind of noticed either that were, you know, you think were very unique and interesting that maybe are not highlighted as much as they should be, you know, and and, and how does that help you think about the future of the business? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, a couple of things. I think one for us as a company, you know, for our teams and all, it was really evaluating, like, how do we do our best work, you know, because... I mean, our workplace strategy group has has done countless research, um, and and you know really helped guide us as well uh, on on these thoughts. But you know, really trying to evaluate how do we work together, and and how do you do? Are we remote first? Are we in person first? We never even talked about ideas like that, you know, yeah. prior to the pandemic. But you know, our company, I mean, we're we are we believe we do our best work in person. We believe that we drive that kind of innovation with those in-person connections. And it doesn't mean that remote or work from home goes away, right? You know, but I think we've all learned a lot more. And one of the unique things I would say from the people perspective that we never talked about was mental health, mental wellness, checking in on people genuinely, you know, as, you know, really kind of caring for our people in a way that you didn't maybe felt comfortable doing so, even yeah. if you, you wanted to, but maybe before you felt like there was kind of a boundary there. But that's that's really interesting how that's <clears throat> started to blend in, in a different way. And then the other thing too, I think we can agree, but like going back to the hiring question, 
I don't think there's one person that you'll interview, any of us will interview that won't ask the question, is a part of this job remote or can I work from home, you know, at some point? Because, and you would never typically ask that, I think, in 20, prior to 20. Yeah. You'd feel too bold. Extreme to, yeah, sort to of circumstance, right? Like, you know, you were caring for somebody or something like that. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's, been, it's, it's definitely, that's kind of those things. But, um, but we're, you know, we're all challenged to try and figure out what that next thing is. And, you know, we're being, being open, being flexible, and really listening, I think, is the key because it continues to evolve. And even the ideas, you know, that, that you were hearing eight months ago or how employers were going to act or react or what they were going to do, you know, has changed. So, yeah. So I think being flexible at that. I think you're absolutely right. I think I think the way we work will change forever. I mean, it always changes. It keeps evolving. I think back in my career when I started in the you know mid '90s, right out of out of college, you know, you mm-hmm. you went to work because all the all of the tools that you needed to you know perform that work were at that office. You know, like a computer or a phone or a fax machine at that time, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> Which mm-hmm. some listeners might be like, "What?" But the point is, you know, now those tools have been moved out of the office, right? I mean, the phone can be a tool, the iPad can be a tool, a computer can be, you know, a, you know, a laptop is now a tool that you can make phone calls on and have video calls and do all of this computing and work anywhere, essentially, right? And 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 I think that that is. That I think we've irreversibly pushed into a, you know, direction where we're not going to go to the office, you know, drive an hour and a half so we can sit on conference calls there, right? right? I mean, you can do that elsewhere or from other places potentially, right? Oh, my gosh. Certain roles, I mean, will always have to be there, you know, certain, you know, team-oriented jobs, right? And where you have to be sort of physically present something. I'm not saying that's going away forever. I'm just saying it's going to be an interesting sort of hybrid model that will, you know, for some companies, it'll be very, very flexible. That's how I'm sort of reading the tea leaves of what we're hearing about the industry today. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, like, I had an occasion, it was just last week, and it made me really think about that because I got up, I had an early morning coffee in Bellevue. And then, uh, and I live in Seattle. And uh, so then from there, I went to my Bellevue office because I had to handle some conference calls with like some technology and I would have felt more comfortable there. So I got set up and I spent about an hour and a half there. Then I got in the car and I went to my Seattle office because I had some appointments in person in (laughs) Seattle. Right. Right. And that was all in a day's work. And it was exactly where I needed to be. I had my technology with me. I got to meet people where I needed to meet them. And I always felt comfortable. Um, I felt supported. And so I was thinking about that, like, okay, well, if if we want to build in that kind of flexibility, and this is just within, you know, the confines of Puget Sound, right? Sure, I'm not talking right. global, but you can take this like in a lot of different levels here of thinking. But, you know, would how would we be best served? And I was thinking about from the employee perspective, there are going to be days when there are services required, say, for that Bellevue office. There are services required for that Seattle office. There are going to be times that our people who are also working remote or on the fly, especially if they're doing what I just did, you know, making three trips, will still need services, but they don't necessarily need to be in person. So do we provide those services? You know, does that lend to the argument of, oh, well, some more flexibility built into the employee schedule may have worked better because we could have gotten them where they're in a place where they can do their best work. So they're not bouncing between offices, but that they're settled and they can, they're in a place for, for resource. So I think it just goes back to the same thing of be open, you know, in your thinking, ask questions, find out what others are doing, you know, as well. And, and, and 
keep that open mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious, yeah. Some of these changes, I think, you know, pretend, you know, a, a deeper evolution of the brokerage industry also, right? I mean, I, I, I can't mm-hmm. imagine that, you know, that part of the industry is going to be static. How do you think that the world of brokerage is going to evolve? You know, what will Cushman and Wakefield look like in, you know, five, 10 years? And not just Cushman and Wakefield, but, you know, your, your other peer organizations, yeah. you know, what, what will be the services they will provide? Will it be, you know, more kind of unified and, you know, vertically integrated? What are your mm-hmm. thoughts there? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I know it's on the minds of not just our company, but every company, you know, that offers brokerage services uh, in the full integrated platform. Our, the average age of a broker right now is 55. And um, that's something you, have, you got to pay attention to that. Because when you're thinking about what does the future of brokerage look like, you know, one, I think all of us, everybody's behind on hiring and, and getting good talent trained up, um, you know, in a way that they can pass the torch and, and take over. There's also this real push for providing a more, no, I would say just a higher level of integrated service model. And our clients are demanding it. I mean, this is this is where we shine, right, is that full platform approach to the business. It's it's not being able to just offer. And explain that just if you if you don't mind, just in terms of like f- fully integrated. So, you know, would, would this mean from like project management, construction, architecture, design, like that kind of stuff, all the way to the sort of servicing of the property once it's completed, right? Right. Well, so what's kind of interesting about it is in the past, a lot of accounts were broker-led. And, and and still today they they are and and will continue to but but there is this kind of also this opportunity now for our consulting sides of the business so advisory workplace strategy for instance is a great a great example of um, that group is a consulting group within our company they are thought leaders they 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 study workplace um, day in and day out. If if we don't bring them into the, the boardroom, right, to meet with the, the real estate leaders of a XYZ company and talk to them about their future of their workplace strategy, we've done them a disservice. But in the past, you know, you might have a broker get a get a hold of a real estate leader and say, hey, I can de- handle all this myself. And they and they don't bring in other consultants or they don't bring in others on the team to help them to help the client, right? Like, and we're all, you, you only can do one, as much as you can do. Yeah. So, but leading with more of an advisory and a consulting, I think that we're going to see more and more of that uh, with the, with a certain clientele, you know, the fortune 500s, that type of thing. They demand having the type of uh, integrated service model. They want to know that you're thinking about them 24 seven and you're thinking about their needs and anticipating their needs. And how can you anticipate their needs and be a provider to them if you only offer one line of service? And in just one location too, right? Meaning like Seattle or just one sort of region, right? Exactly. And this is really interesting. Um, So I was in London right before the pandemic, and I was meeting with one of the top leaders of our company over there. And he was sharing with me, he goes, you know, you would think London, major, obviously major global market, you'd think that we'd have it all figured out. But he goes, one of the things that's uniquely changed, and this was two years ago now, 
is he goes, our clients want to know not just what's going on in London, you know, when they, they were looking at a huge assignment in London, but they wanted to know that we had done our homework across the entire portfolio, that we had contrasted this rent profile against what it would look like in Sydney to, you know, San Francisco yeah, to yeah. wherever, you know, Paris or something. And so he goes, so we had to open our own model and go, okay, how do we bring, quote unquote, the full platform? How do we really utilize our our network, our company, um, to make sure that we've addressed the needs of this client? And he goes, and that's a change for us. And that's a, that's like a change mindset that if you're not offering that, and, and it's also education, right? So it's like how you train up your teams and your leadership, your, your brokerage teams and your other, you know, service lines to work together, to actually value each other um, and, and, and understand that everyone's going to bring a little something different to the table and a different type of experience. And our clients are just so much better served when we do that. Yeah. So yeah. that, that to me though, is really where we're headed um, is, integrating that approach in everything we do. And you don't always have to pr- provide it all. You know, the, the, that's one of the things that Cushman, I think we've done really well is we keep a flexible kind of a bespoke model um, so that we can bring the whole suite of services. And if the client says, I'm happy with, you know, let's just do X, Y, and Z, then we can tailor that for what they need. Interesting. Yeah. Now that is a very interesting uh, perspective of where what industry is heading, and I, I think you could probably see some of that over the last, you know, five, ten years or so, where certain companies were driving their service providers to head that way. But you're now basically saying this is the mindset of effectively the industry, right? Rather than mm-hmm. just sort of one or two kind of cases, right? It's like you have to know who you are and who you want and who you serve. Yeah, you know, and right. so I think that you know it's like. For like to contrast a, a boutique brokerage firm, and there will always be, I think, a need and a and a opportunity for a boutique brokerage firm to do a wonderful job in a local market, you know, knowing and serving their clientele. Yeah. Um. But but they're probably just going to serve a different clientele and have a different offering than what we're what we're set up to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, it's yeah, it, it'll it's interesting. We're in a very very interesting time. You yes. know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. a lot of change for yes. everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Allison, as we close uh, our conversation here, you know, I'd like to end it usually be kind of by asking kind of what, what gives you hope. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the same question. You know, you seem to be very energetic and self-started and motivated. So I, I think there's a lot of things that probably give you hope, but <laughs> would, would love to just kind of get your, your perspective on, on that question as you, as you sort of, you know, canvas the uh, industry and, you know, the rest of 2020 here, 2021, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, what gives me hope? I mean, you know, I guess it's, um, it's humanity. It's, it's our, our fellow, you know, humans here. And I guess in a very short period of time, I'll tell you, coming into a new market during a very strange time and being welcomed with open arms, you know, people don't necessarily know me. I, I, that's, that, it's such a wonderful feeling and it gives me a lot of hope for, you know, the fact that uh, where we're headed. I mean, I look at just the community up here and how much sense of community there is. Yeah. And that gives me a lot of hope too, for just doing great work together, right. Doing something meaningful and, and, having an opportunity to be able to serve that way. So I'm, uh, I'm excited for the future. You know, it's, it's been a heck of a year and a half uh, for all of us. And we just 
one day at a time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Keep smiling and enjoy the wins. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, best of luck uh, with all of your amazing opportunities coming up here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, stay safe and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you, Vlad. You too. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.